Modern Casserole is a podcast of three hungry women. We met working at a food magazine, and each week we talk about food, culture, what we cooked, and what we ate in San Diego and beyond. I'm Olivia, and this is Modern Casserole. Welcome back, hungry women. I have been busy, busy trying to keep up with this box of tomatoes that I got from Chino Farms um, through my friend Robin of Nojo Coffee. And she dropped this beautiful box off of heirloom tomatoes. Like there's gold, there's yellow, there's that like kind of green red mix. I mean, every size, shape, it's crazy. So they've been literally just breakfast, lunch, and dinner around the clock. Um, so much so, Maria, that I had to bring you some to, yes. to help ease the load. Um, just because we know like how delicate tomatoes can be like one day they're not ripe and the next day they're completely mush so I just didn't want to risk that and um, wanted to share the wealth and um, so I've just been around the clock um, using those up have you guys been you know kind of enjoying the summer produce right now at the farmers markets or at the grocery stores absolutely Um, you brought me tomatoes and the only thing I really want to do with them is just make tomato sandwiches white bread mayo salt pepper it's perfection oh nice <laughs> with a perfectly yeah. ripe tomato right thin slices of tomato um i also made a bruschetta that um was just exceptional i used orange and the basil there were basil sprouts that you brought over with the tomatoes as well and i made a stone fruit crumble that was a lot of fun just um you know you mix butter with rolled oats and cinnamon and a little bit of sugar and then pile it on top of some cut stone fruit but i with the stone fruit mix um i used almond flour to coat it just probably about a quarter cup of almond flour and i had maybe about five six cups of chopped up stone fruit coat it with the almond flour and um i used a little bit of orange zest and orange juice and it was a mix of plums and peaches it was so good. I don't know what it is about the orange juice and the cinnamon, because I put a dash of cinnamon in there too, um, but it made the plums taste like giant cherries. Oh, wow. Hmm. And I was in I was in heaven eating it. I, I, I ate a whole massive pan of it by myself, almost. I love that combination. Actually, I had picked up recently, um, or Shai picked up recently, a fruit from Trader Joe's that is a, I think it was called like very cherry plums or something, and it's a hybrid of cherries and plums Mm. and it was kind of like what you described they're like they're kind of like giant cherries um and it was really good the texture is more like a plum but it still had like that bright red color and the texture was wow it was really really good so that sounds great did did you say that you put orange zest in your bruschetta also Uh uh-huh orange zest and a little orange juice just because they didn't have lemon which is what i would oh good idea um And then I get this blend of olive oil and balsamic from a small uh, specialty shop around San Diego. I think they have a few locations. It's called Baker and Olive. The specific balsamic that I love is called a Cara Cara Orange Vanilla Balsamic. And then I get the Persian Lime Olive Oil. And the two of those things combined um, are phenomenal. I I could drink it probably, Mm -hmm. mix them together and drink it. But you don't need a lot of it. It imparts so much flavor. And so I, I just drizzled that on top of the the bruschetta with a little bit of extra orange zest and juice. It was 
I love that. That's a really good way to use up tomatoes is doing the bruschetta with, I've done that too. I'll mix in fruit with the, with the tomatoes, like chopped up a bunch of tomatoes and then done like nectarines or, um, or peaches or I guess plums actually would be really good in there as well if they're the right variety. You could do um, like just a big stone fruit, tomato, caprese, mm -hmm. panzanella type. Yes. High friend. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I actually made um, pita over the weekend and I had like one leftover that, not leftover, it was going to get eaten, but it was like on the edge, edge where it was like either I revive this one or I go the other direction and turn it into like, you know, like a pita fatouche kind of salad. And I was kind of thinking of doing like, like you're describing a panzanella um, version of it. Um, but I, I opted to, to stuff the pita instead and, um, but filled it with a lot of tomatoes and things like that. Um, so I couldn't resist, but yeah, I, it's like tomatoes, everything right now. Some like the highlight probably has been um, like two different things. Like there was a, I did like a Thai cucumber tomato salad. So it was like, if you can imagine like a papaya salad, that flavor of that, like lime fish, um, fish sauce dressing. It was that, but on tomatoes and cucumbers with, um, with chilies, with basil, cilantro topped with peanuts. It was so good. So good. And I paired that with, um, with really simple kind of like a Thai inspired kind of, um, I would use the word kebab, but they're like a little like meatball, um, patty that I just cooked off, um, you know, in, in like a cast iron skillet. So they got all caramelized and crispy and then paired with the salad is really good. Yum. I love that because I actually finished my bruschetta off the next day with, um, it was like an Asian kale slaw salad with a honey sesame type dressing. And I was thinking, I was like, well, I got all this tomato left. And I wonder if the tomato and the garlic and these flavors will actually mix with this salad. Cause you know, this is supposed to be more Italian mm -hmm. or European, but, and this is totally kind of Asian. So it worked, it worked really well. And I was happy that I mixed them together. Yeah. That's what's great about garlic. I feel like it's like a unifier across so many cuisines. Like if you just have something simple with garlic, you could actually kind of morph it like you're saying between. Right. And so it was true. Cuisine. I was concerned about the basil, but then I was like, oh, no way, because, you know, you have basil. I mean, Thai basil yeah. is very specifically different, but um, mm -hmm. we see green basil, Italian basil modified into Thai cooking in America all the time. So it works. Mm -hmm. It's great. It was delicious. I was really Absolutely. proud of yep. myself for coming up with that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the second, the second thing I made, which was kind of along the same lines of your tomato sandwich, I did what I'm calling a BLT, but it mm -hmm. was an avocado bacon lettuce tomato sandwich so a I think blt they, mm. i think they call that a blat a blt i didn't like blat i was like no, i'm gonna call it a, an a blt it's a, it's a blt <laughs> <laughs> um and it was really good i instead of lettuce i had microgreens um, again from trader joe's and they're really good they're, i use them for sandwiches all the time and so that went on there um for this type of sandwich i did a little bit like thicker of a slice of tomato just to make it a bit like meatier and we usually have like turkey bacon in the house. We don't have usually have like, you know, good old pork bacon. So um, it was actually a really nice substitute. And of course, avocado smashed on there. And I'm still doing the, um, the fresh garlic rubbed right onto the toast, you know, mm. just kind of grated right in there. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really good. And um, actually, I did also have a leftover hard-boiled egg from another round of sabich, the um, pita <laughs> sandwich we've been talking about. Um, so that went in there as well. So um, I always would call this a breakfast club 
that's like another sandwich yeah, name I've that been sounds right yeah I've been like playing around with some different sandwich names and <laughs> breakfast club um this sounds fun so yeah what, what about you um Felicia what about um your cooking this week um, well, none of our stone fruit has survived to get into any kind of baking. It's been so good. It's just been like, I'm shocked at how much of the fruit we can eat. It gets chopped up and we'll have it in a container and then it's just gone. Um, and it's also mango season. Um, over at the international market where we shop every week, it's just bins and bins of mangoes for a buck and I was really happy to see those because I haven't had mangoes in a while and I just love that vanilla flavor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you do with your mangoes? Do you just eat them or do you try and um, work them into anything else? You know, I always have have dreams of working them into things, but they get eaten. They're just so good. Um, Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I'll blend them. Uh, Mm. I did a blended like mango and and pineapple Mm. and it was so, so good. We did that after a long ride. Have you ever made your own amba sauce? Because that's mango, right? Isn't it? A it is. Of, um, and I was introduced to it by you ladies. It's, very it's fermented. So it's so amba, since it's a fermented sauce that does you and you're supposed to also use green unripe uh, mangoes yeah. because it lowers sugar. I think if you had all the sugar of like a ripe um, mango, then you'd probably get more like alcohol produced. Uh, you know, I'm going to change the flavor. It's such a yeah. savory sauce. Yeah. Okay. So you can't just make it from mangoes that you buy at the grocery store. You need the, to get unripe ones. Okay. And then yeah. you, I mean, people do. It, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I would. Um, yeah. Fermentation um, frightens me a bit. Mm. I'm not it's sure. definitely something that takes some study for sure for sure and I can I can find some pretty good ones at the store so I've just kind of you know outsourced that so far but I do, I do know people um, from my time in Israel that were making it at home they had their family recipes and of course I think those are always better because they don't have you know sometimes you have the ones on the shelf that will have like a preservative or something in there yeah um, so the fresh ones you know I'm sure are even better but um well, I yeah. tried to take a shortcut this week and it, it didn't work out for me. Like, um, I was making a, an Arab style biryani and, um, I really didn't feel like mashing fresh garlic and ginger into a paste. Like that's how everybody does there. They just mash tons of it in like a mortar and pestle and then they keep it in like a empty water bottle in the fridge and they have it. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't feel like it. I'm just <laughs> going to buy a jar of ginger garlic paste. And I got home and it's like, it's like the universe was just against me because the seal, like the plastic seal on the outside was actually inside. Uh. So I, so it just opened too easy. I was like, oh, there's no pop. It, clearly this was packaged wrong. It smelled amazing. But I was like, am I really going to risk botulism for this? Like, is this really... So I just sit there looking at it and just like talking to myself, but I, I didn't, I didn't end up using it cause you know, mm-hmm. it was open from the store. So I was like, mm, maybe not I, worth the Not risk. that I'm, not that I'm disappointed that you didn't risk it, but I would say with, I think with botulism, it would be more concerning if it was sealed because actually botulism is like the, it's, it's when there's no oxygen present that you have a problem with. Oh. Yeah. And that's why it like bloats. Yes. Can't. 
Exactly. See, I have an irrational fear of botulism. Because you know, someone told me once that, like, if you get botulism, like, you die. Like, there's no <laughs> preventing your death. It's a slight... I- <laughs> We all have the like same fear. Like you can't fear. smell it, you can't taste it. You just eat it and you die. And <laughs> it's a silent killer, right? right. Like that's... <laughs> I've never heard of anybody actually dying from botulism, but it's like this—it's like this fear I carry yeah. with me in my heart. No, I'm with you. I, I don't been... think you're alone yeah. in that. You're not alone. And I, I again, I'm—I'm I'm not saying you should have. Oh, you should have just pushed past that fear, Felicia, and eaten that stuff or anything. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've yeah. done I've I've done terrible things before um, in the name of not wasting food, and you know, but yeah, I'm getting better about it because I'm like, really, I need to think about it. Is it worth this three dollar jar? Yeah. Um, and yeah. no, I decided it wasn't. But so um, you made your own pace. You ended up doing the. Um... No, I ended up being even lazier because then I thought about going to the store and buying a finger of ginger because I didn't have any fresh ginger. Um, And uh, so I decided to just use powdered ginger and uh, fresh garlic and not the same, but there's so many other things that go into these biryanis, so many spices that I was like, you know what, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's not going to make that big of a difference. Um, so I was thinking about, I got, I was taught these recipes by Bedouin women who literally just used whatever, like it was incredibly difficult to even get recipes from them because they just like grab what they had. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they didn't have fresh ginger. They'd have these really cool dried, like whole fingers of ginger that were dried that they, you know, grind up. Um, so I was like, you know what, this is like the ultimate adaptable food. So I should probably take this as an opportunity to be flexible. Nice. That's good. It's like a different approach to project cooking, you know, where it's like uh, kind of ad hoc, but like with that same kind of outline of that recipe to, to guide you, which yeah. is a good skill, I think, you know, and, and build it up over time. Now, as I was making it, I was reminded of um, this recipe that I saw in this new cookbook or relatively new. It's called Lavash and it's Armenian cooking. Um, and they do a rice dish where they bury an entire head of garlic whole in the rice pot and it just like cooks in there with it. And I don't understand the technique because I'm like, it's not peeled or anything. It's literally like a whole head of garlic. Um, but now I'm really curious. I kind of want to yeah. try it. Yeah. What? So I would imagine the garlic kind of melts down like it does when you roast it. Mm-hmm. But I'd assume... Mm-hmm. But it's in the rice, and so it like boils and then steams with the rice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, why doesn't it float? Like, I have so many questions. I'm I guess, it, but you said curious. it's it's buried underneath the rice, so I guess it just it's already kind of yeah. Held. But then they also yeah. add water, so I'm like, mm-hmm. when you add water, wouldn't it kind of yeah possibly I, maybe it's one of those things you have to see to believe. You know? Yeah, Maria, how's your um, meal? prep been going with um with HelloFresh I know with all the you've also had an influx of tomatoes and um, other like CSA bounties so I was just kind of curious how it's you know how's your fridge faring my fridge is actually faring well um it's it's interesting to experiment with a meal prep service I've never had one before and when I was a personal chef it was basically the launch of such services that kind of put me out of business but um just taking advantage of it for what it is. I had decided to do it just because my son is on summer break from 
high school, right? And another acquaintance of mine had actually used these to kind of teach their kids how to cook. They had two sons. And so they would get two boxes, um, same, same items every week, but one kid would cook his box and the other kid would cook the other box and the parents would have to taste test and see which kid did it better um, oh. oh wow <laughs> I know, that so, took a turn <laughs> i know right make it make it's it a like a lord of the flies situation right? but with cooking <laughs> compete for but, my love <laughs> you know i mean the parents would be there watching them it was like a it was an event it was it's fun so i kind of did that or thought i'd try that with my son and um he's helped me a couple of nights he's really motivated with it the flavors are great the um technique is is simple enough it still takes about 30, 40 minutes to cook a meal, so it would have been the same either way. Um, I did learn a new thing, that if you roast veggies uh, at the top rack, they get crispier. I didn't know that. I've been roasting them in the middle of the, the oven this whole time, wasting mm-hmm. wasting energy. But um, uh, yeah, overall, I really, I've been enjoying it. We're only going to do it for a few more weeks, and surprisingly enough there's not a lot of other food waste because everything is so perfectly portioned out i'm just tomato rich Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's been your favorite meal prep meal so far okay so last week we had a burger and two different rice bowls one was um, a firecracker meatball the other one was a middle eastern steak bowl which i was thinking of you ladies the whole time i was eating it of course um i think it was more mediterranean it was probably a little bit mislabeled because it had a tzatziki sauce with it which um it was great don't get me wrong the whole the whole dish was delicious but uh i just didn't know if it was actually really middle middle eastern it does sound like more Mediterranean, although, I mean, there's tons of yogurt sauces within Middle Eastern cooking, yeah, too. Right. They so. just don't call it tzatziki. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. what I figured. Anyways, um, I don't know that I have a favorite so far. The other night we made these carnitas tacos that were that were great. I kind of um, went rogue on that one a little bit, though, because it came with, like, packaged corn, and I had fresh corn from the farmer's market box that I got last week or farmer's box that I got last week, CSA. And I've also been bulking up some of the meals. So like with the Middle Eastern bowl, they had carrots and zucchini included with the kit. And then I had extra carrots and extra zucchini from my farm box and I had a bell pepper. So I ended up just kind of chopping all of that up and roasting it together the same way that they wanted me to do the carrots and the the zucchini it was it was great and then that, i it made it go further because it ended how up do you make carnitas in 30 minutes though is... it wasn't carnitas that it was more i think they called it carnitas for the flavor but it was ground oh. pork mm. and um they their directions i didn't really fully follow just because I'm a, i have the hardest time following packaged <laughs> food directions but i knew it wasn't going to do what I wanted the meat to do either. Like I've cooked enough with ground meat to know better than than their directions. Anyways, um, what was it? Wait, wait, let's back up. What was their directions and how did you end up cooking it? Well, so they wanted, I want to think they wanted us to brown the meat for like five minutes. Uh, I forgot a step. I don't really remember fully, but. <laughs> you just threw it out the windows. You looked at it and you said, You're like, it. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, I know how to cook ground meat. Um, I, you know, I started to brown it. I probably seasoned it way earlier than what their recommendation was. And then they had a broth 
that I kind of completely forgot about. So I ended up doing it again at the end. But the meat ended up cooking down so much that it got crispy and kind of almost almost bacony because ground pork is nice like that. It has so much fat in it and the fat renders out differently than it does say in um, ground beef when you're using ground beef. It could be the same ratio, like an 85, 15% blend, um, but the fat doesn't, it's just, it doesn't mm. do the same thing to mm-hmm. ground pork that happens with ground pork. So the, huh. the meat was crispy and it was really well flavored. They had their own seasoning pack. I, I don't know. It turned out, I didn't, I didn't use their corn. I used my corn on the cob. So I've been, I've been supplementing. Is that what we call it? It's great. Right. <laughs> like, and browning meat. I, I feel like I had been doing it wrong my whole life. I recently was like reading on the internet because I kept getting, you know, like browned meat, but not crispy. And I was like, there must be a trick. And there is. What's and you trick? guys probably already know this. Um, but I, I didn't know because I don't know. I've always just kind of thrown it in there and, you know, mixed it around and let it brown and it gets all juicy. Apparently, at least according to this one technique, the key is to put in your oil, have the pan already pretty hot, and then throw your meat in there and smash it down and then Mm. leave it the heck alone. Don't disturb it Mm. until it starts to crisp and pull away from the pan. Then you can, you know, move it around, move it around. But they're saying that the reason it gets it doesn't get crispy usually is because we move it too fast and that allows the steam to soften the meat while it's cooking. So the only way to crisp it is by that smashing and leaving it alone way longer than you think you should. Like until you think it's about to burn. And I tried it and it worked great. I was shocked. I was like, man, I never knew. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. And I'd say that you could probably achieve that at the end as well so because the thing i hate about yeah. ground ground meat is when you're trying to break it up and getting mm-hmm. those bites to be small enough which is honestly why i love crock potting ground meats with seasonings because it just then it just kind of all falls apart um but if you're browning your meat and you're not getting that crispiness just let it sit like you say just at don't the touch end. it mm-hmm. And you're thinking you're overdoing it, which is totally what I probably did with the ground pork that was in these tacos the other day. But it got crispy and it it, it was delicious. It I, I'm gonna have to try it out because I also have the same problem with with it, Felicia, that you're describing. Like I always, mine always gets like all the steam, and I'm always moving around, thinking I'm releasing more of the steam. Um, and and you're right, Felicia or Maria. I know you mentioned too, like at the end, you could just leave it. But I never, at that point, I'm like, oh, now is it overcooked? Like, now is it just going to become more, you know, chewy instead of, well, like, Well, I crispy? usually add in, like, spices and, and mm-hmm. onions at that point. And so if I leave it too long, the rest of it starts to kind of burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And char the bottom of my pot. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to try that um, next round for sure. Um, something you were saying, Maria, reminded me um, about the way you kind of, like, adding things to your meal kit. <laughs> that's kind of how I cook. I'm always telling you about like my, my Trader Joe's. I, I don't even I usually call it supplementing or augmenting my um, going Trader rogue. Joe's purchase. Yeah, exactly. I'll make like the orange chicken. They have like, or I think they call it mandarin chicken. That's like a really fun, like easy weeknight um, meal from their freezer section. But I never just make it according to the package. I I basically like roast a ton of um, veggies and then add in the chicken. Um, and toss everything together with the um, with the sauce. But like my favorite is I'll take like a whole head of cauliflower and just kind of 
chop it up. I don't even do florets. I just like literally just go crazy. Like when you're talking rogue, like even the way I prepare this cauliflower, I, I don't do florets. I just like literally like cube it and it makes like a really nice uh, like texture with, with the chicken. And nice. um, I even add in fresh um, orange slices, like really mm. thin little wedges of orange um, that I toss through. So it gives it that kind of more like, yeah. Do you roast, yeah. Do you roast the cauliflower? I do, yeah. So I roast the cauliflower. Um, I'll throw in even some like green onion just at the last couple minutes. And I do it on the top rack like you were talking about. Um, I, that's something I picked up just recently as well, actually, about it oh, kind yeah. of helping crisp just because it's closer to that heat element at the top of the um, yeah. at the top of the oven. How and, do you wash your cauliflower? Oh, um, for the ones I get are usually pretty clean. Um, if I'm getting one from the farmer's market, that's when I think I have a little bit more of a time, you know, cleaning it and like kind of lifting back the, the leaves and kind of getting in there. But I mean, do you do it before it. you chop or mm -hmm. after you've you've chopped? I think it depends yeah. on the the cleanliness of the cauliflower. I've probably done both, just depending if it if it needed more attention or not. Um, but the ones I'm I'm usually getting at the grocery store, I I do it whole. And as I'm chopping, if there's something that I find, mm. you know, I'll deal with it. But I haven't had too much of that. Do you, are you speaking from experience that you've had some issues with with cleaning the cauliflower? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because I used to be very like nonchalant about it too i was like oh if it looks clean you know maybe i'll wipe the outside but it's fine it's gonna be cooked anyways and then i had a a, a kind of disaster that um has changed my life yeah I, would, I was already halfway through cooking i was doing like uh the lentils with onions and rice and i was gonna saute this beautiful cauliflower to go with it. and i had already started just like same thing rogue mm -hmm. just chopping up chunks of it and throwing it in the pot throwing it in the pot Matthew, of course, comes over and looks and is like, what is oh, that? No. And I was like, what, what? He's like, there's something moving in the pan. Oh, no. And oh, yeah. And I was like, maybe I can just, maybe I can just pull it out. And he was like, are you serious? Yeah. But I look <laughs> down, there's a bunch. They're yeah. like, they're hidden between the florets, like these little black bugs and I was like, oh man. So that ever since then, I've had this like quandary because I, I don't want the uh, cauliflower to get too wet because I'm going to roast it or fry it. Um, but also I feel the need to like investigate and get up in between those florets to make sure yeah. there's nothing living inside. So I've, I've had that issue more actually with broccoli and specifically. Really? Yeah, I've had that issue. But with cauliflower... Like I said, it also depends, I think, where you're getting it because I've, I've just had mixed experiences depending on where I've picked it up from. And like I said, it, at, the, um, at the farmer's market, I have to be a little bit more careful because obviously they're also using less you know, chemicals and things like that mm -hmm. to keep those things away. So I always try to convince myself that you know, the bugs are a good sign that it means you know, that that's a healthy, delicious piece of you know, produce that the bugs want to eat. And so, you know, but mentally and everything else it's i i can't I usually worms. get over it myself same worms. for you maria mm -hmm. i hate them yeah. i hate them i hate them when they, I hate when they come in on my, <laughs> on my lettuce and oddly enough i was reading this thing that um if you buy you know salad kits or packaged lettuce that is already kind of prepared or supposed to be ready to eat in the big tubs they have a high incidence of stray frogs lining oh, up in what? The, in the, oh. right i know it's like, i was like please god don't let that happen to me because i will frogs frogs little frogs but 
I did read recently uh, something, because um, I always clean my vegetables or my produce with uh, dilution of water and vinegar. And I mm. basically just take my big salad spinner and I fill it up with cold water and then I add a dash of vinegar in. There's supposed to be ratios, but I just add a dash of vinegar. And I let everything kind of soak in there for about 30 minutes. And it's great for stuff oh. like berries or veggies because it um, washes all the dirt off, kills all the bacteria, and um, also will help preserve the produce longer you just have to make sure you dry it but um so same thing with like a head of cauliflower you're gonna submerge it and soak it i don't know if the vinegar is Hmm. as effective as this new thing that i heard about there's a new thing where you take warm water and you dissolve salt in it and then add cold water so that the water is cool enough and you wash your produce and the salt that makes water. sense like it's a little bit of a, not a brine but obviously salt will you know and, dehydrate and apparently whatever. yeah but the salt yeah. will draw out any any yeah. little, little friends that have straggled yeah. along oh my gosh field. i love that because we do this huge like produce prep every single week i like it's kind of this like the last miserable life task of the week but take all the <laughs> produce and before I even put it in the fridge, we wash it, dry it, and put it in, in respective containers. Um, mm-hmm. j- and I found it keeps the produce way fresher throughout the week. And then during the week, I'm not miserably like cleaning and chopping and doing all this stuff. But I had never thought to soak it in, um, in a solution. That sounds way better. That sounds really effective. And if you have a big sink and you have a plug, just make sure the sink is clean. You can literally just fill it up, mm-hmm. dump just all the dump it all in, in there huh? it for thirty minutes, and then I lay out towels on the counter and I pull it out and I let it dry. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not a tedious experience. Um, I think it, you've changed my life, Maria. Yeah, yeah. it's no. a, it's a good tip. It's a really good tip. It reminds me too. I in the Middle East would see a lot of like carrots and celery and things like that stored in water oh. um, because. Yeah, it would keep, like, same with, I always find, like, if I leave my carrots too long in the fridge, um, they they start to get kind of limp, you know, kind of wiggly. And I have a habit now, I actually just put them, I submerge them in cold water with, I add a little bit of salt because that's going to infuse it anyways, just a teeny bit. And put it back in the fridge. And the next day, literally, they're just crisp and beautiful. And they're just back to life. Because what's happening when they're in the refrigerator is they're just being kind of, you know, dehydrated. They're just being dried out. So same with the celery, it's the same thing. And it just absorbs the wow. water and lettuce. It, I've, I've revived, oh my gosh, I've revived so many things. Even um, I'll submerge parsley if it's getting really sad and wilty. Submerge that in cold water in the refrigerator overnight and you'll have like beautiful uh, parsley the next day. It, it's about, it. it's actually, I think you can accomplish this revival in about 30 minutes of soaking. I did it with corn on the cob the other day. Oh, the good. Kernels, okay. So the kernels yeah. were looking a little, little, you know, uh, less plump. And so I just soaked it for 30 minutes before I, I roasted them. And it was, wow. they were, it was, that's beautiful. a great tip. Great. Well, that. now none, nothing in our fridges will go to waste. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Modern Casserole. You can find our show notes at moderncasserole.com with links, photos, and recipes from this week's episode. Subscribe today on our website and everywhere podcasts are available.